welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, would you give us grace to pursue you even when our expectations are unmet. Don't let us become like the masses that change our opinions of you so quickly. But help us to wait, to wait and wonder at what salvation might look like. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we heard two gospel passages this morning for Palm Sunday. The first one we heard was outside uh, the sanctuary. We heard the, the gospel um, being read about the palms being spread before Jesus. And then just now we've heard the passion. And it feels quick to go from one to the other. This whole week feels quick to go from Palm Sunday to Easter. And it was quick. And so we feel it together. Um, having those Two readings juxtaposed one another within a span of 10 or 15 minutes gives us just a taste of how quickly the celebratory masses turn against Jesus. If you're new to Anglicanism, this Sunday marks the beginning of something that we call Holy Week, where we move from the crowd celebrating Jesus, laying their coats and their palms before him, all the way to Jesus' road to the cross and then to the resurrection. And so this week, on Thursday night, we, have, we start what's called the Triduum. It's a three-day liturgy. Um, it's, it begins with Maundy Thursday. Maundy is a Latin for like a commandment or testament. And it's the, we celebrate Jesus instituting in his blood the new covenant in the Eucharist. And then uh, that is the final Eucharist. It's really the Last Supper before Jesus' resurrection. So after the service... The sanctuary is stripped. We hear Psalm 22 read and everything is taken out and stripped away for Good Friday where the cross is unveiled. We worship in the simplicity of a bare sanctuary where everything is taken from Jesus. And we remember what happens on the cross, the crucifixion of our Lord. And then on Holy Saturday, we have the great vigil of Easter where we start in the darkness together. We start in the tomb with Christ and a fire is lit outside And we light the Paschal candle from it, which you'll see on Saturday. And that little flame on the Paschal candle reminds us uh, of Jesus, the light of the world, coming out of darkness. And so in that service, we have a chance to renew our baptismal vows together, remembering that we have died and we rise together with Christ in our baptism. The altar candles are lit for the first time since Monday, Thursday. We celebrate the resurrection with all of the joy that we can bring together. Um, you know, I invite you to bring keys and bells, uh, things that make noise. We will celebrate together uh, in the light of Jesus' resurrection. And then in keeping with that feast, we're going to celebrate together out in the hospitality suite where we'll have a party after the great vigil service together. Um, so this week, this is a quick week. You can almost think of it like a retreat week for you. 
Set things aside to focus on what happens this week. If there is a week to set things aside and invest in your spiritual journey with Jesus, this is it. Um, The week begins today. And today we are going on the road to the cross with Jesus. He's setting the stage for a new kind of exodus. One that no one anticipated. It's the one where he's king. Um, and they, what they were expecting in, in a king was somebody to overthrow Rome. But he's going to become, you, you'll hear the word paschal a lot. Like It's the word for Passover. He is the Passover lamb. That's the one who's going to deliver his people from the powers of darkness and death. And those powers of darkness and death are the ones that were moving the crowds to go from Hosanna, blessing, to crucify him. Just like Pharaoh was not going to be able to continue to hold the people of Israel in bondage, so death and the powers of this present age are no longer going to hold God's people in subjection any longer because of Jesus' victory and his resurrection. And so when I look closely at the story about the crowds this morning shouting their hosannas, one of the things that I find myself asking is how they could move so quickly from a welcome that was accompanied with a blessing to this vitriolic and violent request to crucify somebody by their political enemy. And at the heart of that change, I think, is an attitude that seems to be coming from the quenching of hope. There's a deep quenching of hope through a very, very deep unmet expectation about who Jesus should have been and what salvation should have looked like. And those deep disappointments are like little seeds that the enemy likes to sow. And the powers of this age like to cultivate in order to grow them and to to make bitterness and resentment and hatred flourish. And that blinds the crowds from what's actually happening in this new Passover that Jesus is instituting. And the saving work that God's actually going to do in delivering his people from sin and from death. We need to pay attention to those places where we either lose something that that we expected to have uh, or those places where we're not going to obtain the thing that we hope to have. Uh, So those places where we lose something that we held on to and those places where we are not going to obtain the thing that we hoped for. We need to pay attention to those two places. It could be a material object. Uh, It could be a a relationship. It could be a dream uh, of something. The way that things should be. It could be an opportunity. There are things that um, we have had, that we have uh, loved, and that we have lost. And there are things that we have hoped for that are not going to materialize. And those places become the fertile ground where the seeds of disappointment are sown. And that they are grown into larger plants that become resentment. And we might be willing to spread our palm leaves and our coats before Jesus in public, doing this very public thing when everybody else is watching, um, because we expect him to ride into Jerusalem like a king and to conquer our enemies. But what happens when things don't turn out the way that we expected them to? We have to start over. Are we willing to follow Jesus when all of the glamour is gone? When the road is really hard, when things did not turn out the way that we expected them to turn out, when we know we're walking into something controversial, when our reputation is our stake is at stake, when our life and our very livelihoods might be at stake. 
A big part of answering those questions is how we handle disappointment when it comes. We need to learn to identify those small places of disappointment to start plucking out resentment while it's still young. Think about weeding things. It's easier to take weeds out when they're little. And that means opening ourselves up to welcoming Jesus as king in whatever form that means. Because if we try and fit Jesus into the images of kingship that we create for him, we're just going to keep making images that are going to go unmet and creating expectations that won't be met. And then we run the risk of moving quickly like the crowds from Hosanna to crucify him in our hearts. And so we become slaves to our impulses, and then we become slaves to the the powers of this present age. We need to learn to wait, and to wait with curiosity, to wait with wonder and interest. Uh, When Jesus' kingship seems like it's less glorious than we wanted it to be, precisely because his deliverance is better than we could have anticipated. So we need to wait with with wonder in Jesus' kingship when it's less glorious than we anticipated because his deliverance is, is better than we anticipated. The challenge for the crowds here is that there are voices that are already casting doubt about Jesus' kingship. You can hear it in this passage. And every day that Rome is still in charge, people start to doubt and those little seeds start to grow. There's a foothold for the opposing voices. Every day Rome is in charge. And those voices are going to grow louder and louder and louder. And more and more people are going to get frustrated that things did not happen the way that they were reading the scriptures. And they thought they were going to happen. And that leads to a change of heart. And wrath takes over and anger takes over. And they're no longer interested or curious about what the deliverance of Jesus is going to look like for them. And it's the nature of wrath or anger to lose interest in the will of God when disappointments arise. That's the nature of anger and wrath, to lose interest in the will of God when our disappointments spring up. And one of my favorite Latin writers um, from the early 5th century is a man named John Cassian. And and he warns against holding on too tightly to anger. uh, And he says that because of anger, we shall at once lose the light of discretion and firm and correct counsel as well as goodness itself and the restraints of righteousness if the guiding principle of our heart is obscured by darkness. Jesus here provides an example for us. It's an example of what love does with disappointment. Love clarifies things. It has a very clarifying power to it because it asks better questions than wrath or anger do. Instead of asking, why are these things happening to me? It asks, How are these things happening to me, shaping me, and potentially blessing others? How are these things that are happening to me a potential blessing and a potential way to bless others? Jesus is on the road to Calvary, and it reminds me of two important truths about disappointment and loss. The first one comes from St. Paul's epistle, the second one to the Corinthians. Chapter 12, he asks God to remove from him a thorn in the flesh. It's in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And instead of just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus has a more profound answer. His answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Grief is good. And grief is the first step of being honest with ourselves 
about where there is a deep sense of disappointment, about where there is weakness. And then as we hand that weakness, that place to Jesus, we're met with grace. Jesus comes and he meets us there with grace. And and that's an invitation to see how that place of weakness is going to be a place of healing for us and how it's going to be a source of healing for others. Second, the road to Calvary reminds me also that St. Paul's epistle uh, to the Philippians that we read today, in the, in the passage that was read so well by um, Becca, he says, you know, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Which in that passage involves emptying themselves of all entitlements, serving others in obedience to the will of God. It's one of the reasons why everything is taken away after the Monday Thursday service. We remind ourselves that He truly emptied himself of all things. And we see that in the cross. The cross was a necessary part of Jesus' exaltation. There is no exaltation of this king without the cross first. But those who were blinded by a particular vision of kingship had become overrun with anger that their expectations weren't met. And then they missed something deep about the will and the plan of God. And about the true nature of God's kingship and about the exaltation of the divine Messiah. The exodus that Jesus uh, was doing was to expand Israel to all people through a new covenant that was guaranteed through his blood. He's the great Paschal Lamb, the great Passover for us, who delivers his people from the domain of darkness and the power of death into a promised land of new creation. And in his love for humanity, he disregards the entitlements that he has as God and the shame he disregards the shame of others in order to walk in a clear sense of God's will and in a disposition for love of God's people um, and others. And for those who were patient, who waited with curiosity about the work of God, Jesus's kingship was even more glorious than they could have anticipated. There was disappointment when you look at the road to the cross. But that disappointment on the road to the cross is swallowed up by the surprising joy that we're going to hear about in the resurrection. So the same mindset that's in Christ Jesus is to be found among his people, those who are following after Jesus, who understand that power doesn't come without the cross, without weakness. It speaks to the ways that we die to ourselves for the repentance and the forgiveness of others. Um, bringing them into a clearer vision of God's love for them and who God's actually made them to be. It speaks to how disappointments then give us a window into God's grace and the power of his resurrection. And that mindset speaks into how we engage with deep disappointments. Rather than allowing disappointment to produce anger, which then blinds us to the love and the will of God, what it does is it embraces disappointments with a clear sense that God hasn't completely abandoned us as his people, that he is not done with us, that he loves us, and that as we continually offer him the honesty of the disappointments that we have in our shattered visions of the way that things that should be, that he tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he begins to reconstruct that vision of what redemption looks like for you and for me. It's not going to be what we expected it to be, but it is going to be more hopeful than we ever could have anticipated. Let me pray for us. Assist us mercifully with your grace 
Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the meditation of those mighty acts by which you have promised us life and immortality. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.